Hey guys, due to some technical difficulties, the sound on this pod is terrible, but please bear with it because it was such a great conversation with Nick, a man who lives around the world for me, and yet our experiences are so similar, I could take the words from his mouth and put them in my own. Unfortunately, my recording failed, but his sound man didn't. So this is what it sounds like from his office in Melbourne, Australia. I was a carpenter. I want to work for these boys. I'm going to start my own business. So, you know, what worked out for me is if I work for myself, well, it looks like I'm going to make more money. So let's give that a crack. So, <laughs> you know. And then what happened? Yeah, and then, and then you don't make as much money. How's that for a little affirmation, all you builders out there? That's me and Nick Lonsdale of the Lonsdale Building Group in Melbourne, Australia, getting into our conversation today. There's a ton more where that comes from. Sit back and enjoy. Let us know what you think. And then at the end, I'm going to add in a little bit about what Nick's been up to since we recorded in December. That's what I think about. You know, when, I, when I go to work with a client, if they can regulate their own emotions sometimes because you know, the respect's got to go both ways. You're building a legacy. This is for me, you know, I'm building a legacy for myself. Uh, and for my son, moving forward and whatever children that I have moving forward from that, you know, you know, for any young uh, builders and trades that follow you, the educational process, yeah, don't kid yourself because clients and people that are in this industry, especially clients, and it's been frustrating for me when we tender a job, when we go to quote a job, as a builder, not as a tradesperson, but as a builder, it's it's probably however many trades you've got on a project, if you've got 20 trades on a project, if you're one of those tradesmen or subcontractors, you've got to think it's at least 20 to 25 times longer and harder for a builder because we've got we've got to manage your all your processes as well as ours. And when we do that for a client that has no understanding of the industry that might be building for the first or second time, you have to educate them and take them through the whole process. And for us in Melbourne, there's, there's got to be that level of understanding that, that, that they don't talk to the client um, in detail about anything really because yeah. they don't know what's going on behind the scenes. They don't know what you've worked on, what deals you've got. It's, uh, it's been a learning experience over the years Jumped into the building world, loved it, loved using my hands. Uh, visually, I learn and probably excel doing that stuff. And so moving from there into a businessman, um, that transition is really hard. Yeah, so I suppose my history, um, yeah, wasn't, school wasn't for me. I was too busy talking to the girls. I wasn't doing any of the work. Uh, I was just stuffing around, having a fantastic time. And so we didn't come from a lot of money. Um, so if I wanted to do something, um, I needed to pay for it myself. If you're all about the ego, that's going to destroy you. Because having a massive company just so you can talk about it with all your friends and everything can really deteriorate your mind. and Hire quick and fire faster. I wish we could just fire clients that, that easy too. You're telling me.
today with the contracting handbook, and I've got an award-winning builder from Melbourne, Australia. Uh, in 2021, he got the Australian Achiever in Restoration. In 2020, the Melbourne Young Entrepreneur, 2018 Young Master Builder. I know there's more awards. And so with that, I'm going to introduce owner, operator, and founder of Lonsdale Building Group. It's Nick Lonsdale. How's it going today, Nick? Good, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Uh, thanks for that nice intro. I appreciate it. How are you going? I'm, I'm doing great. Um, tell me about your your design build firm? Yeah, so I run a small building firm, purely like to focus on the building as much as possible, but we do have a lot of input in design and consult from when clients uh, come to us with a project, uh, we generally get in conception when they buy it or when they're thinking about renovating them, you know, hold their hand and help them guide them through the design phase. Construction, being a builder, being a customer home builder, as you're well aware of, there's so many different facets and if it's all locked in your head uh, and you're, you're the guy at the forefront doing all these things when it gets to site, it's just you, you can't articulate that and get it out and other people are not going to know what's going on. So to relieve that stress um, and focus on the areas of you know your business and work where you're really good at um, and for me that's more the people management side. Um, it just makes a massive difference. So that's why we stepped away from doing the design. Um, <clears throat> that's why I stepped away from employing uh, trades directly. Uh, and we just manage, you know, we, we just manage the process. I'm on site every day. I'm in the office every day. You know, I have a portion of time allocated everywhere. And then, as you know, things every day just get thrown up in the air, and shit goes everywhere. And you got to run here, run there, and organise this and that. So you've got to allow a bit of time for that. And if, you know, if you try and capture or if you try and micromanage the whole process, that's when I've found that it implodes and affects on other parts of your life. Um, that, you know, you've got to have, running a business, you can get really sucked into it and you cannot have a work-life balance. So you've got to allow yeah, yourself that. that. That daily schedule's tentative, isn't it? It is, you can lock in, I can always lock in three or four things. But I need three or four hours just for whatever comes up and to deal with it on the spot. Need a solution. Yeah. Need to keep going. Need the projects to keep running. Um, so yeah, you got to lay yourself that time. Yeah, that's the way my day was today. I had my first three hours pretty well planned out and stuff started breaking because it's cold. Yeah. I guess I'll do that later uh, or some other time. So yeah, and then. Uh, uh, I, I thought that's interesting you brought up the micromanaging aspect because if you do micromanage too much, I mean, you have to basically just trust your trade contractors. You have to... Yeah, some level. I mean, you have to check them. Yeah. But they're professionals. They have a vested interest in doing their best. And, you, and just letting go, I think, is really important in trusting people around you for you to run your business efficiently. And sleep at night. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how it works over there, but uh, in Australia, it's a little bit, yes, that works well in theory, but um, it's a little bit contradictory for us here because while you should be able to trust your trades and let them do their job properly, um, we don't yet, 
in the well in Victoria have that uh, have that level of I suppose structure within the building authority. Um, we've got a warranty over here for ten years for structural items, and then for other items, you know. It's a sliding scale, depending on what that item is. Uh, so you can't 100% let your trades manage it because here we've only got the two licenses uh, for an electrician, for a plumber, where they have to give you a certificate, where they have an insurance, you know, basically where you can call them back. But for every other trade at the moment, uh, there's no real way of getting them back. If you don't have a really good relationship with that trade, if you haven't employed them, if it's just a one-off or you've had them for 12 months or two years and you, you know you have a disagreement as you do, um, if they haven't done their job properly, there's no real way of getting them back. By the time you go through the court system in Victoria, generally it will cost you more than what it costs uh, to get a job repaired or whatever that item is. So you do have to micromanage to a level uh, you do have to have a certain amount of OCD, you know. Um, I used to, I went through a phase with like mental health and that kind of thing where I had a lot of anxiety and while people might view that as a bad thing, that was probably the best thing for me being, being a builder because, you know, it gives you that extra level of care that you don't want your own mental health kicking back in because, you know, you've got anxiety about something not being done right. So for me, that's why I've probably got a level of uh, OCD, that's why you know, I micromanage to a level, you, but at the same time, you've got to have trust in your trades that they're going to do the right thing. And for us, I tr really try and build a relationship uh, with the trades, not just so that I can get them back to fix a mistake or on who, whoever side of it is, um, but if you've got a good relationship with your trades and your subcontractors, uh, you know, jobs. Everything always pops up on a job. There's, you know, for us, different things happen all the time. Things are not necessarily on the plan. Owners change things. We we might have missed something. They might have missed something. So you got to be able to work with reasonable people. And um, so yeah, there is a level of micromanagement. There's a level of, uh, you know, being able to manage your personality and get along with people. There's so many things that, that come into play um, that we try and, you know take into consideration, I suppose. Yeah, and I, I wasn't trying to suggest just letting go of the wheel. No, I'm trying yeah. to say, you know, and, and, you know, you definitely, I think to be a contractor or a builder, you have to be OCD to, on some level. We're definitely different how we approach the world. You know, we're trying to fix it. We're trying to correct everything. We're always fixing and changing. And it's a solution-based job. You've got to have yeah. a solution. You've got to have it quick. Yeah. And, and, uh, and my, my trade contractors, I have excellent relationships with my trade contractors. The ones I have right now, I don't worry about them that much, you know, and they're all cover everything. Yeah. I, I trust, I, that whole trust thing is so important. Mm. If you do have an area where you don't have a good relationship with the trade, that's a tougher situation where you do have to watch them more. Yeah. You know, at the beginning, I watched everybody, but, you know, I've been working with the same plumber and electrician for a long time now. And, Mm. We check in and we're we're on it. Yeah. Um, but but you know they're competent. I don't, I, I, yeah, I don't worry about. Them. I don't worry. Yeah. When they're on the job. Yeah. You know, yeah. Which is really nice. Oh, and then the whole, the whole warranty system here. No, there isn't one. Not in Alaska. 
We don't, we don't, we... I'm coming over, I'm coming, you got some competition yeah. coming, I'm moving in. <laughs> it's, a, it's a funny thing, you know, here, you can set yourself as a builder because our standards are not amazing, but we set standards as builders. Yeah. So, you know, there's an upper echelon, upper tier of builders here, um, and there's definitely a standard that's yeah. been created that's way above what code is mm. for for efficiency and stuff, but um, and that and the you know the public demand calls for that. Yeah. But there isn't a system that that regulates us that strongly here. Only in the city, outside the city, anything goes. Yeah. Okay. And 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 anybody can buy a piece of land and build whatever they want. Wow. No planning. No. They can. They can, they can not even have a drawing and go to Home Depot and buy everything they want and build a shack and then call me and say, hey, I did it wrong. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not coming over. <laughs> I've done that. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, oh, the bureaucracy here is crazy. You, 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 you can't even walk, you can't even grab your tools out of your truck and walk onto a job site without the neighbor screaming, you know, have you got a this, have you got that? One complaint to cancel, and you know, there's inspectors down there, there's investigators. Here we are so tight knit, um, and the fines are massive too. So, you know, you really can't do the wrong thing. Yeah, well, the only thing we really have fines on is workman's comp. Yeah. If, you're, if you're employing people without insurance, that's a big deal. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I always do everything above board and I want a standard. I want my legacy to be, I built great houses, you yeah. know, so, yeah. so that's all that matters. But, but yeah, um, outside the city, doesn't matter. People what? do whatever they want. And inside the city, you could get fine. I don't work in the city that much. Yeah. How do you, how do you choose your clients? You've got... You know, you got your reputation, you got your online presence. People know you, they come to you. Interesting question. So, I went through like a, a bit of a phase uh, of building my, my company's reputation up to a point where I started getting a lot of offers for a lot of work. This was probably, you know, five, six years ago. Uh, and naturally, you know, when you're trying to grow your company and you haven't experienced uh, all facets of business, um, which I don't think anyone has, but certain facets of business, I suppose, when the opportunity came uh, originally, it was just like, wow, good project, great project, good money is going to come in. So you kind of grow, you expand, you take it on. Uh, and I went through that phase of, of growing the company and, you know, becoming bigger. Um, and then after running through that, having multiple projects running at a time, having multiple staff in the office, I think we had you know, close to 15 people in the office at one stage. Um, and there's you know, between 50 and 100 people running around on site every day. You work through things and uh, it got to a point where you know, I stood back and was like, okay, I've grown into this. Is, this. is this something that I really want now? Is this something I like? Look at my life and uh, I probably found that it overtook that that work-life balance. Um, so I kind of reviewed that stage, pulled it back, uh, worked out, you know, 
when I was the happiest at work, when I was probably making the most money, when the clients were most satisfied, um, when I had a, you know, a great work-life balance. Worked out those key elements, how I was doing that at different stages and uh, kind of restructured to get to the point that I'm at now. And so to answer your question now, I've still got like a multitude influx of people coming, uh, approach me, contact me for work, um, you know, three or four different jobs come across my desk probably every week. Uh, and so choosing a client, choosing a project comes down to, it can't really just come down to one set way of doing it because it, you know, it's where are you at in life, how many projects have you got on, you know, what's your cash flow like, what's when projects going to finish so it really works around what's happening at the time but for a client because now I've been around for a few years um, and I've had fantastic clients great ones where you know I'm still fantastic friends with you know one client I think I've done five or six projects for in the last eight years um, you know we've got a great relationship and then there's been some clients that have been terrible um, really terrible and uh, so it's more for me it's more based on a we've got a I suppose a certain radius of how far I want to travel in the car every day because I like going out to the site every day seeing the boys make sure the project's happening um, so I've got a certain radius around where I live that where I want to go to um, and then it's based on how much work we've got uh, and if we don't have a lot of work of course I'll go a little bit further you have to you know um, but the biggest fact for me is the client and what they're, you know, you've got to make somewhat of a judgment. Generally, without knowing these people, you know, you might get a bit of word of mouth. Uh, well, generally, that's all my work comes from word of mouth, so we can kind of speak to where they come from and work, work out. But it comes down to their personality and how much you're going to get along with them because for us in Victoria, you sign a contract, you are getting in bed with someone for, you know, up to 10 years uh, with, you know, if, if anything happens. So you want to be able to deal with that person moving forward. You want to have a good run with them throughout the project. And for me, a project probably runs for anywhere from, I don't know, four months to 12 months, generally closer to 12 months. Um, I don't like doing projects that are going to go for 15 to 18 months um, because people just get bored and stagnant on jobs. Uh, I do, so uh, we've got our certain level of jobs where we want to be at, but you want to, you know, that's still a long time, and at the end of the day, uh, I'm sure this is the same around the world, but someone building, renovating, restoring, refurbishing a house, it's generally their life savings. Um, so they're extremely uh, attached to that, there is a lot of emotions involved. They've generally spent a lot of years, uh, maybe not planning, but thinking about what they can do. Um, everyone's got struggles along their journey to be able to make that amount of money to spend on a project. So it comes with a lot of responsibility. Uh, and I think a lot of builders don't realize that, that you know, it's a highly emotional time. And so you've really got to be, for us, you've really got to be careful. And that's, that's what I think about, you know, when I, when I go to work with a client, if they can regulate their own emotions sometimes because, you know, the respect's got to go both ways. Um, and if people can't 
regulate their own emotions, then uh, as you know, you'd be well aware, things don't always go to plan, things change, and if, you know, if they can't be willing to negotiate, all those yeah. things come into play when choosing a client. There's so many things. Yeah, uh, the, uh, I love this, the regulate emotions. Like, it's such mm. a big deal. And that's one of the key things I look for. Yeah. I mean, you said a whole lot of things just then that I want to talk about, but, but that one really strikes home for me because you can meet someone and think it's all fine and you get into the project and all of a sudden you show up and there's smoke coming out through yours because they don't understand something. Yeah. And, you know, there's definitely, I, I would say I had some miscommunications because I didn't properly manage expectations when I was younger and when I, I did not know about managing expectations. Now it's all I talk about. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, it's number one. Um, you know, try to figure out before you get in a relationship with somebody is a big deal, especially because you have that 10-year thing. I can't imagine that. That's a, yeah, it's a fucking I, I might not I might not be a builder if that was something that I had over my hanging over my head. Yeah. Because we have a we have a year guarantee we like here it's year warranty industry standard. Right? Yeah. yeah. And if something happens after that that's clearly on me or my subs, mm. we do it, no problem. But ten years, never heard of that. Yeah. So that's a that's a big that's a big mental burden I think for a builder. Because um, then you've got, you're still in bed with, you know, 50 or 60 people. Yeah. And, for a while. yeah. and you know, that's, that's what brings your anxiety on, you know, if you actually, you know, I care about my work. Uh, like you mentioned before, the key word, you're building a legacy. This is for me, you know, I'm building a legacy for myself uh, and for my son moving forward and whatever children that I have moving forward from that, you know. Uh, and so when, you, when you're passionate, you care about your, your job and your business, um, and then, you know, that, that alone gives you enough, you know, puts enough go in you to want to have that extra care. But then you throw these layers of uh, warranty over it, and, you know, I can understand and I think it's reasonably fair, but there's definitely some flawed systems here um, that don't work anywhere near in our favor when they should. Uh, but it's for me, it's what I know. Um, right. So I don't know any different. You know, I might be, a, who knows, if there wasn't any warranty, I might be, you know, a, bit, a little bit more looser than what I am. So um, it kind of holds me, me accountable and it's set the bar um, to a reasonable standard for what we do, knowing that um, what these requirements are on you moving forward. Yeah, I, 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 I don't think it's necessarily uh, like the 10-year thing is a system where I go, oh, I wouldn't want that because it would change the way I do my work. It would only be because like I have one client in the past four years that would probably still be calling me because mm. they were irrational. Yeah, yeah. Human. yeah. They, were, they were not what they seemed to be in the beginning. And I had a lot of unreasonable callbacks when I'd go up there and there'd be nothing wrong. Yeah. And, and that was, you know, if, I, if that person was calling me for 10 years, I might have to move. No, I'm kidding, but. No, no, but, I don't understand that. Like yesterday, I'd been getting a call out from uh, a gentleman who bought a property 
uh, a development that I did, and he bought one of the homes there, uh, and he'd been complaining about some noises. I went out and had a look, and, and he jumped up on the roof with me. I, I didn't really want him to come up on the roof. Uh, had been complaining that the roof was going to fly off, you're going to come off the house, okay? I have heard this before, it's never happened, but I have heard it a number of times. Uh, so we went out and had a look and uh, he wanted to come on the roof and I said, yeah, be my guest. It was a three-story build, so it was quite high. Um, and we got up there and looked through and he said, Nick, I'm so sorry for wasting your time. I should have jumped on the roof earlier. I should have looked. Clearly, there's nothing wrong here. Obviously, it's just, you know, when it gets really windy, you know, things do move and do creak and, you know, that's just... Building materials, you know, that's the trees move when it's windy and make noise. Uh, so there's no reason for you hear a couple of creeks here and there. But, you know, that, that place was built three years ago. So there are things uh, that come up, but we just try and do a quality job, a little bit over the top, I suppose, uh, in some areas and try and minimalize uh, the amount of callbacks we have and then try and have a as good a relationship with people as you can get. Um, yeah, and, and, and in that situation, you know, even though it wasn't a big deal and, and he realized that the roof wasn't going to blow off, it's sometimes it's just our job to educate people, isn't it? Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just part, it's just part of it. Yeah, and, and on that, um, you know, for any young uh, builders and trades that follow you, the educational process, uh, yeah, don't kid yourself because clients and people that are in this industry, especially clients, and it's been frustrating for me, uh, one, one of the biggest things here is that when we tender a job, when we go to quote a job, as a builder, not as a tradesperson, but as a builder, it's, it's probably however many trades you've got on a project, if you've got 20 trades on a project, if you're one of those tradesmen or subcontractors, you gotta think it's at least 20 to 25 times longer and harder for a builder because we've got, we've got to manage your, all your processes as well as ours. And when we do that for a client that has no understanding of the industry that might be building for the first or second time, you have to educate them and take them through the whole process. And for us in Melbourne, generally, you don't, you can't charge for a quote because a lot of other people don't. So if I go and charge for a, to quote to tender a project, uh, we won't we won't get it. And the only times I've ever done that is when we're super busy and don't need the work um, because a lot of people do muck you around. And then you have to go through the phase of educating the client and understanding and trying to value manage a project uh, because in the last you know five years building prices have been through the roof here uh, that people don't understand and designers that as a builder I'm sure you get the same thing that you don't work with personally they'll just design if a client wants to spend $500,000 on a project they'll say yes and design it and it'll come out to be $750,000 every time every single time so then you've got to go through the process of dealing with the client's emotions on why they can't have this because they can't afford it and then working through the process of value managing that and that's like re-quoting that 25 times, it's like re-quoting another three times that. 
Because then you've got to bring it back down, go back and explain, not at the right price, bring it back down again, do that whole process again. So you've got to really educate the client. And then to the point where sometimes you still don't get the job after spending, you know, for us, could cost us up to $10,000 to do a quote on a three or $4 million house uh, and then still not get it. So, uh, yeah, the educating side of things um, doesn't just stop with the trades. It also is with the clients and can be frustrating at times, but that's just a part of being a, uh, a builder. And once you build up your reputation, generally you can weed out the ones that... Uh, you can get a good feeling about a client if you're going to get the job or not, uh, and then choose if you want to work with them going forward. And a couple things I want to touch on that you said were was you know we started talking to the tradesmen right away, and and how we end up you know we're on that job for the whole year say if it's a year, and they're only there for a few weeks, rough mm. in, trim out. Yeah. And, and one of the really thing, the one of the things that I really worked on for a while was just making sure I had tradesmen who I could turn loose in a house with the client, and I don't have to be there to be between them. That they can talk, like a you know respectfully, and 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 just understand that clients don't understand houses. It's up we do. Yeah. You know that's our job, and you know sometimes the questions are too many like they can get irritating or whatever but most of the time you just need to explain a few things and keep people on track with that yeah yeah um, and 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 you know i struggled with my tradesmen for a while yeah well it's it's two worlds colliding isn't it it's it's the tradesman and the client and, you know you know people aren't i suppose don't have that experience uh, not well, the clients. One, one of the big ones would be that the trade person might say something different than I said. And my my deal, and this is actually something I've never said on the pod before, but my deal with my trades is if the client has a question, they they need to say, you got to ask Mike. Yeah. You know, they can, the, the trade person can explain how they do something, but if it's a it fits like what's going here or it seems like a change thing, mm. you know, they need to say, oh, just talk to Mike. And that's the way it works out and it's great because they're up, then the pressure's off them anyway. 100%, yeah, 100%. You've got, there's, there's got to be that level of understanding that, that, that they don't talk to the client um, in detail about anything really because yeah. they don't know what's going on behind the scenes. They don't know what you've worked on, what deals you've got. And, uh, you know, quite a number of times, and I'm assuming it's the same for you, clients are trying, you know, when you get that cheeky client, uh, it's gonna give you a bit of strife, they're always about the money and they try and hit people up about the money and how much are you charging or how much, why, if there's a variation, they wanna come down and speak to the trade and, you know, if you're not there, that, that question always seems to come back up. Um, oh, so, you gotta have a lot of trust uh, you've got to have a good relationship with your trade and just a good understanding. All comes down to being a builder is all about communication. Like, that is the biggest thing. If you can't communicate, if you're too scared to communicate, if it's just not something you're good at, either get good at it or don't do it because uh, that is all it's about. It's about solutions and communicating. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more, Nick. I, I think when I went off on my own, I didn't know how important that was gonna be because I was just a good carpenter. Yeah. And I was like, ah, I'm gonna go start a business. 
and, mm -hmm. and make money. I'm not going to work 20 or 30 K is wrong. And yeah. you now have to bring them to reality and then stick with your numbers. I mean, that's a, that's quite a, I'm glad someone else says it. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've just been doing it and I go, this is a, this is super challenging to, uh, to communicate in an effective <laughs> way and a way that doesn't upset somebody and also burn a bridge with a designer. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, incredibly hard, I suppose. It's <clears throat> on that last point, you said you don't want to burn bridges, especially if your city's only got 30,000 people, um, because you don't have too many options, let's be honest. Uh, here in Melbourne, they're yeah. diamond dozen, they're everywhere. Um, so, um, but it's the same token, you don't want to burn anyone. But that's where, you know, as a builder that's been doing it for a while, like yourself, um, you can just have that quick glance over and you know you roughly know you can throw some square meter rates you know approximate what's going at the time you know what you've done in the last two years over a job and it's just like nah you know I'm not going to waste my time it's going to cost me x you know five grand to go through this and get the team set up send all these out waste the trades time just when your expectations are unrealistic um, and so that, the last couple of years, that's what I've been doing, just saying, on average, here's a ballpark figure, it's gonna cost around this, um, and seeing what their facial expression is when they come back to you. And if it's, you know, they throw the head back, well, I generally say, listen guys, I don't wanna be rude, but I don't wanna waste my time either. So how about you go and get a couple of quotes from a few other builders, go speak to a quantity surveyor, um, get them to put some figures to it and then this is where I think it's going to be at if it falls into this ballpark and you've come to terms with you know this is the possibility you build and you're comfortable spending that money uh, then come back to me and have a chat um, it's, it's hard it is hard I, I, I did a lot of remodels that's kind of where I got started in getting into homes, custom homes for people. Um, I built a few of my own homes for myself, but you know, getting the trust and built that I could build a home, even though I know it's easier to build a new home than it is to remodel something. Yeah, um, it took a while. And, um, but, but I never ballparked. Like I did, and I, that was a mistake with remodels because ballparking is, you could, you can be wrong by 50% easily yeah, yeah. once you tear into it. And so ball, I never ballpark, but I do agree now, like with a house, with drawings, it's good to get a feeling besides whether they're emotionally capable of dealing with this process, you know, whether you can be together for a year, um, if, if they're actually gonna spend the money. Yeah. Like, if they start saying cheap in the first meeting, then no. And, and certain, there's certain red flags, right, where you just go. And, and then, yeah, when you do say, oh, it's gonna be X amount of dollars per, per square meter, we do square foot here, but, um, yeah. and if they balk, then, then you know. But if they say, okay, let's talk about finishes, then you're like, yes. Yeah, yeah, you know? we've got a live one. Someone who yeah. can afford what they actually want for once, which is nice. It comes up probably one every ten jobs here. I'd say that's 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 uh, that's about that for here too. Yeah. 
So, um, I mean, we are actually in a, we're in a huge building boom here. It's there's we we are so short-handed. Uh, we, well, I don't think we have enough contractors here anymore, general contractors, and we definitely all tradesmen are all the good tradesmen are stressed. Yeah, I mean they're maxed. They're maxed. They're maxed out. Well, that's good and bad. Um, yeah. We're, we're in a bit of a boom. Uh, we've, it's been pretty constant. There's a few ebbs and flows, but it's just started to pick back up again uh, up here. A question I have for you, um, and I know this is kind of going, we're doing the reverse roll here. Uh, what is, on average, a, a day rate for a tradesman over there? Uh, so this is this, this would probably would get paid. What, yeah, would get paid per hour. Or what I charge? No, no. What what? Uh, say a plumber or a, a carpenter for a day. You know, you're working at eight to ten hour a day. What would they roughly take home in Alaska? A uh, carpenter, uh, residential carpenter would take home between between two hundred and three hundred fifty dollars a day. A uh, plumber. Would probably take home five to eight hundred dollars a day. Yeah. Um, I, I, think go, I think a going rate that, like, if uh, if one of my trade contractors is working for me, you know, I'm I'm paying in the hundreds per person that's working. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's it's. I say it's somewhat on par. I just wanted to. That's roughly around the same. I mean, they're charging about a carpenter here probably. If, if they're out on their own, it's about fifty dollars an hour, fifty to sixty dollars an hour, I suppose. Some are charging sixty-five. Uh, so anywhere, you know, from three fifty to that, you know, five hundred dollar mark. Yeah, I, I, and and I've always thought because I'm a carpenter that we get underpaid. You know. Yeah. I mean, I understand. There's some more. I, I guess now I understand to become a plumber or a or an electrician, there's more, there's more involved because you have to get admin licenses, you have to get different licenses, and most carpenters just learn on their own. But um, mm. but we like we have to really understand the building. Well, yeah, that's right. I think it should be on par. And when it's, when it's getting framed up. Uh, yeah, well, you got most of the responsibility. I'd find, uh, especially as a head uh, carpenter. But um, for us in uh, Victoria. There's talks, there's been talks for the last few years that they're going to make every trade uh, licensed here. So effectively that administration you're talking about for the plumbing and electrician, uh, that's going to be across all trades in Victoria, if not uh, nationally wide in Australia. And now they're starting to talk about it again and saying that it's going to come in uh, halfway through next year. That'd be, that for us as a builder, probably fantastic because then we've got a call back on on those trades as well as the plumber and electrician um, but it probably will mean that um, that their prices once they're certified and got all their proper insurances their prices will go up to be on par with those uh, those two trades then you're, when you're paying your your subs out though they're charging you I mean, what are they marking up their employees? Thirty percent or something? I mean, if a if I mean a carpenter's working at sixty five, is that he that person's just licensed on their own, or is that what they're charging per employee that they've got on your site? 
so it, it, it changes um, anywhere from an apprentice to probably get anywhere from 25, they'll charge me 25 to 35 dollars um, and depending yeah. what year they're at and then if my head carpenters uh, employ a, another qual fully qualified carpenter, it's anywhere from 45 to probably 55 to 60 dollars. Um, yeah. I don't know what they're speci specifically putting on top of their um, on top of their heads, um, but yeah, there is obviously there is a markup there. But for me, we try and stick away from hourly rate as much as possible. Um, I try and have you know I try and put a lot of work into upfront. Sending, doing a scope of works for that carpenter on the job and for any trades, uh, along with sending them the plans and saying, hey, price the frame, price the cladding, price the lockup, price the fix out, uh, or the flooring, or whatever it is that that carpenter or any other trade is going to do, and give me a fixed price. So then, you know, like you're saying about your trades that you've had for a long time, it just eliminates having to micromanage them that extra level. You know, we all work on one desk together basically, uh, so we work well, everyone knows what's going on. Um, there's a lot of transparency and communication even within the office, so yeah, I just like to, you know, it, it's busy. It's so busy all the time being a builder. Like, you, you, weekends you're still getting calls from trades or clients or suppliers or something, so uh, if you can pass on, but for me, um, it's taken a long time to get really good stuff. A long time. And I'll say that for, and this is my mentality, and I've gotten a little bit of trouble for saying this to people in the past, but I, know, I don't really care. I thoroughly believe in my way of doing things. Um, and I'll put this out there. Because you're the boss. Because I'm the boss and I couldn't give the stuff what anyone thinks. Hire quick and fire faster. In this day and age, it's like getting into a relationship with somebody. For the first couple of months, it's euphoria. It is fantastic. Then once everyone settles in, you get to know their personality. Don't feel scared when that staff member settles in. If they're not the right fit for you, get rid of them. It doesn't work. Don't feel sorry for them. Don't feel sorry for their family. You're here. You've got to do a job. You're here to service your clients. You're here to look after yourself. If it doesn't work, then it doesn't work and move on. And I didn't have that mentality for a long time. I had a mentality of wanting to take care of everybody, wanting to care for everybody, and that only was detrimental to my business and to me, and you know, financially to me, not only mentally. Um, but when it got to a point where I just said, well, enough's enough. And you know, while I want to be everyone's friend, uh, at the same time, if they're not a good fit, for you personally, and being a smaller builder, that you, you know, I'm tight knit with my team. I spend a lot of time with them. Uh, they become family, and if they're not, if you guys are not cohesive, then it's not worth it because it affects you mentally as well as physically and, and through work. So, hire quick, fire faster. If someone doesn't work, move them out, get the next person in. The only way you're going to find out or find that right person is by going through a few people first, and it's taken me a long time. Uh, and for the last few years, last couple of years, uh, I've found some real gems. And I tell you what, I'm holding on to them as tight as I can. Uh, and, you know, 
business is great. Work, uh, my normal life outside of work is great. Yeah, um, when you've got good people and you've got a good vision, you know where you want to go and you've got good clients and you know all this stuff takes a long, takes a few years to get there. Some people quicker than others. Um, but when you get enough experience and you get some good stuff, uh, things can you know start to go well. I mean, you come up yeah. with your obstacles, but you know how to deal with them after you've got a bit of experience over a few years. Yeah, that one that one bad apple can bring down the whole team, and you don't you don't even realize because you're not the other people, but they are affecting. If they're affecting you, they're affecting everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a poison, like a rot. So that's why I say, high, quick, fire, faster, as fast as you can. As soon as that you find that there's a rotten egg, cut it out, get them out, move yeah. on. I wish we could just fire clients that, that easy too. You're telling me. You're telling me. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's part of getting older and not really giving up that bit yeah. more, you know? Like, like I don't, I know I can't please everyone. I'm, shoot, I'm, shoot, I'm shooting, I'm aiming a lot lower now. Yeah. I want my clients to be happy, but they have to, they have to, work with me on what my expectations are too. Yeah. As employees, everybody's got to... And like you're saying about setting expectations, you, you've got to do it both ways. Definitely. They're going to know what they're going to get. That segues into my next little area here. Because if, if we're going to manage expectations, we have to write everything down, right? I mean, you have to have yeah. it all on your contract. Yeah. So people know this is what I what, what these words mean we, do we mean, do we see the same thing when we see these words? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, how do you, how do you walk people into their contracts? How do you deal with that? Um, <clears throat> yeah, well, it's, uh, it's been a learning experience over the years. Jumped into the building world, loved it, loved using my hands. Uh, visually, I learn and probably excel doing that stuff. And so moving from there into a businessman, um, that transition is really hard. Um, and I suppose, unless you're gonna, unless, you, unless you've got the experience behind you and you've learned from your mistakes, uh, it can be very hard. So for me, it was just learning from mistakes. It was speaking to uh, different people around me, different mentors around me, and how, letting them educate me. But for me, it's all a learning experience. If I do the wrong thing, I won't do it next time because I don't want to, you know, I'll, I don't want to do the wrong thing, but sometimes you just don't know how. So now, uh, for us, yeah, we, you know, we've got a, when doing a contract, we sit down with a client and we go through everything before signing that contract. Not only do we go through the contract, we've got special conditions in a contract. Um, so, I'm not sure if they're standard contracts in Alaska, but we've got, there's a couple of different standard contracts here through different building authorities that you can use. Uh, one being the master builders who we use here. And that's, a, that's like a builders association, I suppose, and they've put out a contract that's um, widely used in Australia. Uh, so we use that. Then you can also add in some special conditions that I suppose uh, work for you personally or work for your company that we've put in over the years. Uh, that give you a level of comfort. So you've got to work, you've got to walk your client, explain them through the contract, explain that, explain any special conditions. And then for us, uh, we put in our own, I suppose, scope of works, a quote letter, 
um, and that forms part of the contract. Uh, just with any little anomalies between the contract and the plan. So that fits right there in the middle. Uh, and you gotta go through that and make sure that's 100%. And then you know you jump into your plan, your, your plan and your specs. Um, so when signing a contract, all those documents form part of that. And then I just find the biggest thing throughout the build is, you know, going back to that, or when inevitably, generally, there's something missed that's not in anywhere. So if you've got good communications, but you gotta make sure that those communications, if you're gonna verbalize that, for me, I jump on the phone, I'll talk to someone straight away, but then you gotta follow up with a text message, with an email, with some sort of, someone, if you're on site, get them to sign a plan, write something on a plan, take a photo, send it to them. You gotta have something, because people forget. And I mean, for us, we're going flat out, day in, day out, I'm running to three or four different jobs, I'm coming in the office, I'm speaking to five million people, you know, you, you forget stuff. So it, you've just got to make it part of your daily routine to try um, and lock in as much information as possible. Because like you're only going to get hurt. I, yeah, I like it, Nick. I, that, and what you said at the end there about the verbal part, I did way too much verbal agreeing about yeah. changes, about whatever at the beginning. And people remember things differently. Yes. And I, and I don't, I actually, you know, some people are manipulators and some people just, I, I know our memories just change. Yeah. We, we start to remember things the way we want to. Yeah. And I can't emphasize how important it is that when someone tells you they want to do something on their house and you already have a contract, let's say it's not even a change order, they just want something more. It's not, it's not changing anything you've done. If it's your schedule, you're going to bill them hourly for it. It's fine. You need to have that all added. And I, I, what I do is I just take my contract and add it to the bottom. Yeah. And, say, and it changes the bottom line. And they, I send it to them for approval. If they approve, I send it back and say you approved. And then we go. Yeah. Um, and if it's a change order, they write a check. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that, that, is, that is absolutely imperative. Yeah, I mean, we, we've got, so something similar for us, we do a variation, so it, it is like, I suppose, like a short version of a contract, um, and it just gets, you know, if someone asks me for something, we'll do it, or if they ask the guys in the office to do it, they'll send a variation, and this is something that I didn't do for years, because um, here in Australia, it pisses people off when they've got to pay extra for something. They get upset. I think it's human nature, but they really get upset and it can be detrimental. Everybody loves money. Everybody loves their money everywhere. And like you said, it's their life savings. Yeah, so. yeah. So it can be, people expect for some reason, you know, just because you're building a house that costs $500,000 or a million dollars that they're not gonna have a $500 variation. But um, you've got, like you were saying before, you've got to set the expectation from the start. And at the start of the job, Builders, tradies, everyone's wrapped. So, and you don't want to upset the apple cart. But for us, for us, if something's a variation, we send it through as a variation. Um, or if I'm not going to charge a client for it, you know, we send it through a variation, and then say no charge, just so that bit of paperwork's there, so that down the track, if shit starts hitting the fan, I can go back and say, listen. 
I, I was quite reasonable, but we've hit a ceiling of me being generous and reasonable, and you've got to pay for this stuff. And, and look, look at your history, it's there. So there's a bit of give and take, um, but you know, you do have to keep on top of your paperwork. Yeah, and I'm gonna go back to the, when you start, first started talking about the kind of contracts you use, because you use a standardized contract and then add your own clauses. Mm. And uh, we don't really have a standard here. Yeah. Everybody's got their own. I actually haven't seen any of my, any of my competitors or friends contracts ever. Yeah. I have my own version. Um, I'll actually be putting it in my book because people can read it, I don't care. Uh, but I have seven clauses with seven specific people's last names associated with them because they were the person I learned to never let this certain sort of thing happen again. Oh, God. That's good memory. Yeah, so, so you know, one of them is, I talked about this on pod, or a show I got interviewed for last week, is... Um, setting boundaries and in my contract you cannot call me on Sundays unless it's an emergency you can't text me I don't want to text at 10 o'clock when I'm going to bed mm. love your thoughts on the project you know I want to sleep so I have you know after 7pm anything unless it's an emergency it waits till the next day because I have to be able to do I'm still thinking about you and your project trust me you know but but I don't we, we most of the time your questions can wait till the morning yeah and, and so that's just one of them because mm. i had someone who would call me in the middle of the night but uh we've all had those guys yeah i'm the same I, yeah. you know we we set that level of we communicate that um when we're going through the the, the phase but it gets forgotten about very quickly um because people's emotions are heightened um, when they're spending all this money. But for me... Yeah, absolutely. I just don't... Um, it gets to a point where sometimes it gets disrespectful. And for me, I try not to get emotional about it. I just simply don't reply. Um, and they won't hear from me. I'll call them the next day and have a chat to them. Um, but they just won't get it. You know, they, they won't get me to answer a phone call on a Sunday. Or, you know, I generally won't... It, dep it depends, it depends what, really it depends what mood I'm in too, honestly, or what I'm doing at the time, uh, or what, you know, I know we're going to talk about, but there's that secret line that people have got to know not to step over, and that goes both ways. Um, and for me, I just, yeah, I just get to a point where I just won't answer my phone uh, sometimes after like 6 p.m. at night, on the Saturday afternoon, on a Sunday. But, um, you know, you've got to pick and choose your battles as well. So sometimes you have to, but generally, that's my, uh, that's my theory. But for me, I'm up early as well. Uh, so I get up and going, you know, around five o'clock. So, you know, I'm, I'm one for sending out early emails. I won't call anybody. Um, but my expectation too is that I don't mind getting a text message at night, but I'm not gonna, like, if I see a client's name or depending on who it is and what the situation is, I might not read it. I might just sit there unread and I'll read it in the morning. So if I get a message during the night, clients know that I'm not gonna respond, I'm not even gonna read it. So it's the same thing for them, that I'll do the same thing back. Um, 
maybe at five o'clock in the morning if something's on my mind. Because for me, I've just got to, when it comes in, I've got to get it out. Generally, I'll send an email because I know people don't read their emails at that time of the morning or they're asleep. Um, but yeah, there's got to be that level of respect. A lot of times that gets stepped on, but it's all part and parcel of the job. We just need to be able to have our lives. I actually ask my clients not to text me. Okay. I, 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 I try to have them, I try to keep that reserved for my subcontractors because that's my, you know, we are minute to minute sometimes. Yeah. You know, bouncing around and yeah. if they have a window and they want to come to my job site early, I want to be able to respond and, and not have my client in the middle of all that. Yeah. I ask them to email me. Yeah. And I ask, and I, or call if it's an emergency, but email and, and start the email. Let it get saved. Think about it. Add more questions or maybe your question kind of gets answered because you just process the information. Mm. And, 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 you know, but I like people to accumulate the questions because it makes for a better building process, I feel like, when, when they actually have one and they think about it and then they come up with another one and then we can have more of a conversation instead of like one at a time. Yeah. Oh, I need to call. I need to call. I need to text. I need, you know, because I've had those clients and you could spend, if you chalk it all up, you've got an hour of your day after you've already got a contract talking about stuff you didn't need to talk about. You know? Yep, we get that a lot. Yeah. Okay, I, I, I see the expression on your face, you know exactly what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, I know exactly. Yeah, It's hard to get away from those clients too. It's hard to stop that. It is. And then one, another thing I noticed you said is when you when there is a, a variation, and we call that a change order here, uh, and, and you're not going to charge for it, you do include it in the, con in the, in the contract or invoice or whatever. And I think that is very important to, to point out to the listeners too. Is if I'm doing something for free or I'm discounting it, it's right there, right before the bottom line, the new added up total. Mm. You know, it's right there. So they see the big number, but right above it, they see zero, a couple of lines with zero or whatever. So they remember. So they remember that yeah. you did give them this discount or whatever. Yeah, or, I mean, it goes, or it gets the out. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta keep it there in the forefront of your mind, especially because things can turn, uh, turn south pretty quickly. How did you start in the trades? How did you, I, you started alluding to it, school wasn't your thing, and you, you kind of became a carpenter. Yeah. Um, a businessman. Yeah, so I suppose my history, um, yeah, wasn't, school wasn't for me, I was too busy talking to the girls. I wasn't doing any of the work. Um, I was just stuffing around, having a fantastic time. Uh, but it was a bit boring. And also, another factor into why I started working was because um, I grew up, uh, my mum, my parents were divorced. Uh, my mum chose not to work um, and didn't do that. Um, and so we didn't come from a lot of money. Um, so if I wanted to do something, um, I needed to pay for it myself. So uh, it was a good driving factor for me. You know, once you go out and work a day, um, you make some money. And I did some work, um, I think through school I was doing, towards the end I was doing one day a week. I wanted to be a tradesman. I was doing one day a week working with my uncle who was kind of a, like a handyman and still is. Um, and he'd give me $30, $50 for the day. 
Uh, and for a person who never worked through school, that's fantastic. So uh, I worked out pretty quickly. Um, if you go to work, you get paid. Uh, and then I worked out the more you work, the more money you make. The harder you work, the more money you make. Uh, and that transitioned into, like you were saying before, uh, you know, I was a carpenter, I want to work for these blokes, I'm going to start my own business. So, you know, what worked out for me is if I work for myself, well, it looks like I'm going to make more money, so let's give that a crack. So, <laughs> you know. And you, then what happened? Yeah, and then, and then you don't make as much money, and, yeah. then, and then you learn, and then you got more stress. Um, and you know what? It is. A lot of people who don't work for themselves and think that it's great and you know a lot of the time if you can persist at it if you can teach yourself if you can grow from your mistakes yes you are going to make more money and yes you're going to have a little bit more freedom in your life to go and do stuff if you choose to if you don't get swallowed up by um, by your business like what I was talking about before if you can uh, you know take a step back and look at things and work them out um, so yeah, I started from, I think uh, I was like halfway through year 10, um, wasn't working for me, teachers didn't really like, principal didn't really want me there, so uh, I've got offered some work and when started, I, I was doing a day a week for my uncle, um, went and worked for a friend's dad doing some uh, timber fencing um, and then jumped into the trade industry about six months later as a carpenter. Um, and, and went on, went on from there. Um, my father uh, had a clothing. He was a police officer who went into uh, women and children's clothing. He would buy from. Uh, I don't know what your comparison from like. Um, we've got Target or, or Kmart here, which would probably be like Walmart over there. I assume I don't really know. We've got, we've got, uh, Kmart just went out of business here, but we got Target. And we'll, we'll okay, you do. Okay, sweet. So, yeah. anything that they would order, the seconds from that, would, that wouldn't get to the floor, my dad would buy, and he'd go around the country selling uh, those clothing items at pop-up stores here, there, and everywhere. So, when my brother and I were with him on the weekends, he would put us in the store to manage that, you know, being 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 year old kids every second weekend doing that. So, I had a little bit of an understanding of responsibility and um, taking in money and, you know, small uh, window of business and nothing really, but I just, um, I knew that once I started my apprenticeship in carpentry, uh, that I wasn't scared of going to do something, of going and charging people money to do a job because, you know, I'd kind of been around it a little bit in a different area. Um, so once I knew how to build a pergola, a veranda, a decking, um, some, you know, being uh, somewhat of an extrovert, like being able to talk to people and communicate half decently because my dad had stuck us in these shops as little kids and made us, like, he would leave us. He would go back home and let us run it, um, which I don't think was a great idea for him, but he probably lost more money than he made. But um, it gave us that experience. And so I could always talk to people. So if someone asked me to do a job, I don't think I've ever said no to doing a job, even if I don't know how to do it. I just employ someone to help me do, do that. Um, and so that's where it started for me, for my business journey, I suppose, is doing 
little jobs on the weekend, here, there and everywhere. Uh, over time, getting more efficient at doing those, uh, working out how to, you know, I would, I'd be working every single weekend. I'd be working after work, be going to people's houses. Um, and of course you want to make more money, so you want to become more efficient, you want to buy materials, you don't want to over-order materials. Um, so that's where I learned, and it just progressed into doing bigger, job, bigger jobs. Um, it progressed into me having to go back and doing a diploma and building, uh, and getting my registration so I can then go out and do stuff, you know, managing for other builders and I just slowly, slowly, slowly kept building it up, building it up, building it up until I had enough work to work for myself and um, yeah, and just went, kind of went from there. It's a good, that's a great story. It's interesting how one of the parallels I find is that a lot of contractors didn't really fit the mold mm. and were looked at by their teachers as, you know, they weren't, we weren't going to like, what are they going to do? Yeah. And, and, and here you are now today getting paid for your experience, not wages, but for your experience. And you've won all these great awards. What are those awards? What do those awards mean to you? When I first got the big one, which was the 2018 Young Builder of the Year, I had never won an award before. I hadn't, so it was, uh, yeah, it, it, it was different for me. Um, but what it was, was recognition for, you know, years and years of hard work. Um, and it was different, it was a different feeling. And what, uh, I remember one of the judges came up to me and he said, don't let me down. After, after it had been awarded this, he said, don't let me down. Do not stuff this up. So it like, put a bit of pressure on me to mentally, you know, that's not, not because I don't know him, I don't know who he is or anything, but it put a bit of pressure on it. It made me think, yeah, well, okay, I don't want to let myself down. Now that, you know, this, this accolade is great, but it's also, not, I wouldn't say a burden, but it's also something that stays in the back of my mind now that, you know, I've set a standard for myself and I don't want to go back below that. Um, so it was great. It was very re rewarding. It was like, uh, I don't know how many years prior I'd started working before that, called 10 or 12 or whatever it is, or 14. But um, it was great recognition for all the hard work that I put in, all the long hours, uh, because financially you don't always get remunerated for that. Um, all things happen and you lose money um, or you make money or whatever. Um, so it's something that's, you know, it can never be taken away from you. So it was a great milestone in my life. Uh, it definitely did raise the bar for me mentally to want to keep a standard, uh, you know, above that, well above that. And, um, you know, for the future, I don't want to be the young builder of the year. I would like to be the builder of the year. So uh, it definitely, you know, also put a bit of, bit of a pep in my step, put a bit of a, a rocket up my ass to, you know, make sure for the next 10 years that, you know, I'm progressing, still lifting the bar higher and higher and higher, taking those opportunities when they come to me uh, on board and, you know, doing the best I can so that, you know, I can continue on my journey of trying to achieve different things. And, you know, it was a nice feeling. And it's, it's great because I suppose winning an award like that uh, has given me different opportunities. 
Uh, one of those opportunities is probably talking to you here today. So, you know, having more opportunities like that, just by caring about your job and wanting to do it properly and wanting a quality finish and wanting happy clients and all the rest of it goes along with it, um, it can open up doors. Uh, and yeah, like I said, one of those has been here with you today and doing the podcast with a few other people and, you know, being recognized for that. It's nice. It's nice. We actually entered a, uh, entered a project uh, for an award and that um, gets announced today. So we are one of the finals in that and knock on wood and touch wood that uh, we might end up getting that one as well. So uh, that's for a sustainable design. So that'd be nice for a project we did. Um, so yeah, that's up tonight, just off the back of that. Excellent. Yeah. It's so nice too that uh, so many of the builders I talked to are now just completely into sustainable building. It took, it took a little too long. It seems like it's not, it hasn't been at the forefront for long enough. Well, it's so expensive, um, especially in Australia. Building materials are through the roof, the labor's through the roof. Um, we haven't done a lot of them. I was um, wrapped that did get to uh, to build this project that was uh, heavily thought about the sustainable side of things. Um, but yeah, we haven't done a lot of them, but we're looking forward to the future. And, and this might be a catalyst if we get up tonight um, to do further projects in that field. Because it, you know, it's nice. It's a good feeling um, to try and be sustainable and give back to the environment when you can. Yeah, and it's the, we just want a stronger client base for that kind of work. Yeah. Because the people who say cheap are not going to build that house. No, 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 no. Um, and are you guys having the same things? Are you guys having the same labor shortage we are? I mean, we kind of alluded to it earlier, but I do have. Um, we're short, we're, we're shorthanded as a community for trade workers and builders. Yeah. Do you feel it's the same way in Melbourne? Or in general? Um, not too bad. It is. It is uh, hard to. It is not hard. You have to be well organised. It's not. You. We've definitely got a material shortage at the moment, um, and prices are through the roof. Um, I think steel's what going about, up. What about recruiting young people? Uh, it was hard for a few years. It's starting to come back a little bit now. Um, there were some announcements the other day that our, uh, they're called TAFEs, which is like a step under university. That's where a lot of tradespeople go to get their pre-apprenticeship, pre-schooling done to go into a trade. Um, they, they announced that there was an influx of people. So hopefully in the next year or two, they're going to start to come through. But yeah, people don't want to do it. I mean, that's society these days. Uh, and I don't really want to get too stuck into that because people have a lot of thoughts and their own feelings, but um, everything's easy these days. You know, people don't want to do the hard thing, and it is hard, you know. Yeah. Building's not easy. It's physical, it's mental, it's hard. Um, and then throw on that, you're spending someone's life savings, it's super emotional. So there's a lot of things. It's not easy by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so you don't, you're not going to get as many as you used to, um, because education, I suppose there's a lot more education uh, these days than probably what they were 50 years ago. So it's easier to get educated, you know, with the internet and all the rest of it. So people are going for different jobs. Um, but yeah, it looks like it's starting to come back. Uh, it's not too bad. You just have to be well organized. 
in advance, lock people in, send them purchase orders, have good relationships with people that are going to turn up on time. Um, and if you don't book something in, if you, if you do have a good relationship with somebody, then they will come for you. Uh, or you have to pay a premium. Simple as that. Cut it out of your margin, which you don't want to do. So, um, yeah, it's not too bad. Not too bad. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, it seems like it's been it's a big problem in a lot of places. Um, and so, what would be your what would what would be your advice for the next generation of builders? Uh, kind of put you on the spot. Yeah, advice. It's it's a hard one. Um, it depends what type of person you are and what you want to achieve. You know, have goals. Uh, have some unreal, unrealistic goals, have some realistic goals, write them down for your business, for yourself, if you work life, write them down and try and revisit them every couple of months and see if you're achieving those. Um, it's a big thing for me to write things down uh, and achieve goals. Write some small ones down that you can start, start to get the wheel turning with ticking off things. Um, but set yourself a standard. You're somewhat of a psychologist. so. While you guys know about um, building and how to build stuff, you got to start to work out your communication. If you can get that right, if you can be a personable person, um, if you can be understanding, if you can be somewhat uh, reserved in your opinion when dealing with a client, it's going to go a long way. Um, but really getting to understand how people operate uh, is a big thing. Yeah, and don't be scared to, uh, to let go, like uh, what you were trying to talk about earlier. You've got to give responsibilities to other people to be, able to, to be able to grow. And grow doesn't necessarily mean that you want to have this massive company. Um, the biggest thing that I've learned over the last 18 months is that, and this comes at different points in people's lives and you can't always do it, but work out your work-life balance. Work out what you want to have and there, there, is a, there is a balance between you can have so much work and be making the same amount of money with a smaller company. So don't, there's, if you're all about the ego, that's going to destroy you because having a massive company just so you can talk about it with all your friends and everything can really deteriorate your mind and the people around you. You can make the same, a lot of the times you can make the same amount of money with less employees um, and a smaller business. So it's more about being efficient and having that balance outside of life to be able to do some other things um, because at the end of the day, you're only going to work to make some cash uh, to live your life. So, you know, take those things into consideration. Sometimes you've got to take a step back. You know, sometimes you've got to put your ego aside uh, and... Um, yeah, just kind of get on with life. And it doesn't really matter what someone thinks at the end of the day, it's just, it's your life. Like you did, if anyone wants to get in touch and you know, bounce questions off me, I generally uh, answer a message on Instagram. So feel free to, to reach out and touch base if someone does want you know, particular advice on something that I'm doing. Uh, I'm, not a, you know, I'm not a mentor by any stretch of the imagination. I don't, I don't have enough time to, to get into all that with that side of things. Um, but we're all builders. If someone wants a bit of advice, I'm always here to, to help out. And where would they find you on Instagram? 
uh, at lonsdale.bill. That's me. Um, I don't put a lot of personal stuff up there. It's more work stuff, a bit of fun stuff. I have been relatively quiet on there for the past, uh, I don't know, six months. Um, you know, everyone's got personal issues they go through and sometimes you just don't feel like putting stuff on there. But we regularly post stuff. We do some, I think we do more, um, more natural, more real stuff. I really, I'm not so much about the, the finer, shiny looking build stuff. You know, we're gonna do something that's kind of funny or put some really what's happening out there. Or if I jump on the stories and have a bit of a chat, which I haven't done for a while, but I'll get back to in the new year. Um, we just go through the jobs and talk a bit of shit. Or if, well, if I've got an issue like I did a few months ago that got a really wild responses from a lot of people, I've never had so many responses, put something up and ask that. So yeah, that's where we're at. If anyone wants to jump on touch base, go for it. Uh, I love when Mike sends me stuff and get, tries to get me involved in stuff. Uh, it's always good and a bit of fun. Well, I really appreciate you coming on, Nick. And, and, and you know, now you said you don't really have time for mentoring people that much, but this podcast, people are going to learn a lot from it forever because it's going to be out there. And, and it's great to get your perspective and to see how much we, how many parallels we have Mm. We're very far apart, and and this happens for everybody. So I think that I'm just really glad you were able to take the time and join me today. No, thank you. It's been uh, it's been good, and tr I try to give back. And you know, hopefully one day I can get out to Alaska and uh, come over for a month and give you a hand. Come out and check out some building sites and see how you guys do things. And go fishing. Oh, I'd love to. Love yeah, it. Gotta go fishing. And for all you guys out there, you know, you can find me at The Contracting Handbook on Instagram. Um, you can leave me a review for today's show on iTunes or on my website, The Contracting Handbook, which now has a, 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 a way to leave a review. And if you want to make a contribution for production, which is now Mike Kenoki one at Venmo. Thanks again so much for being here. It's been a pleasure. Mike, thanks for having us. Appreciate the chat. And um, yeah, I'm sure we'll stay in touch and talk soon. Yeah. All right. Are you guys still there? Okay. So I was talking to Nick this weekend and that uh, sustainability project he was talking about. Uh, since then, he has won best sustainable home, best bathroom under 30K, special commendation for best multi-development, which was the four townhouses in the red brick that you see on his profile on Instagram. So cheers to Nick. Thanks for being on and congratulations on your continued award-winning run. And for everyone else out there, really hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for joining me here with the rest of the Worldwide Construction Tribe. And remember, everything you do each day, everything we build, everything we do, all our actions, it's all our legacy. All right. That's all I got. Later.